Welcome to the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by United Poultry Concerns. I'm your host, Hope Bohannock, and you can find all our past shows on our website, hopefortheanimalspodcast.org, and you can find my contact information there as well. So we are continuing our Vegan Voices series with a conversation with Thomas Jackson, who has an essay in the anthology Vegan Voices, Essays by Inspiring Changemakers, edited by Joanne Kong, who was our guest last episode. And this book is the inspiration for this series, vegan, the Vegan Voices series. I am also a contributing writer to the anthology, and Thomas's essay is in the section on the arts because he is a filmmaker, but what I love about Thomas is his spirit and soul. He is working on bridging the realms of religion and spirituality with veganism. And I feel that these are two worlds that are deeply connected and really complement each other. I think that it's a great area to focus if you have spiritual leanings. Religious and spiritual people are really low-hanging fruit for this compassionate message and to stretch the metaphor a bit, really ripe for becoming vegans. (laughs) So before we get started with our conversation with Thomas, I wanted to announce that we're going to do a Vegan Voices contest along with this series. It's a book giveaway. We're going to be giving away a copy of the anthology Vegan Voices to a random winner. And all you have to do to enter is to help us with some promotion and then email me and let me know that you did that. So there's lots of different options. Uh, The best way is if you are listening on iTunes or Spotify or one of those podcast listening apps, scroll down to the reviews and write a review and then copy what you wrote to me in an email and send that to me so I can enter it in the contest. Other ways to enter would be to share an episode on your social media page or pages or go to our Hope for the Animals podcast Facebook page and leave a nice comment there and be sure to copy it to me in an email so I can enter it in the drawing. Uh, It doesn't have to be long. It could just be like, hey, I love this podcast. Check it out. That's all it needs to be. And But be sure to email that to me so I know that you did that because I may not know otherwise. You can find my email on our website, hopefortheanimalspodcast.org, and I will pick a winner on December 1st, and I'll send you a copy of Vegan Voices. I can also send a copy to a friend or family member as a gift for you as well. We could do it that way, and it'll be in December, so it would be a nice gift for someone else. I really hope you participate in my first attempt at a contest for this podcast. We'll see how it goes. So let's now jump into our second episode of our Vegan Voices series. (music) 
Okay, so we're going to bring in Thomas Wade Jackson. He received his master's from Florida State University College of Motion Picture Arts, where his thesis film won the Student Academy Award and the Student Emmy Award. And he has also founded the Compassion Project, a multimedia production company. And he's the director of one of my favorite vegan movies, the award-winning feature-length documentary, A Prayer for Compassion. And Thomas is a vegan and animal rights activist. He lives in the woods of Northern Florida with his daughter and their cat friend, Obi-Wan. So welcome to the podcast, Thomas. Hi, Hope. It's great to be here. Great to have you. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. You bring together two worlds that I love, and that is spirituality and veganism. So I'm really happy to have this conversation. So let's start with going back in time with your vegan origin story. And tell us a little about your history. Why did you go vegan? When did you go vegan? I know that it's connected to your spirituality. So give us a little background on you. Well, you know, I grew up in South Georgia. I was a child in the 70s. And uh, I ate, definitely didn't know what vegan or vegetarian was. We ate... uh, the standard American diet with a su- southern flavor, mm. a lot of meat and a lot of uh, butter. A lot, yeah, butter and <laughs> cheese and, you know, and just a lot of stuff, a lot of processed foods back then, too. A lot of fast foods, you know, unfortunately. And, you know, I remember I, I suffered from all of that as well. You know, I had acne and I had uh, really bad allergies, mild asthma, but it was considered normal. Everybody uh, back then, you know, you're a kid, you're going to be sick because we were all being fed this this food, you know, like our parents were probably fed right out of the garden and stuff. But like we were a generation where they were starting to feed us out of the grocery store. But it wasn't until I was in my mid 30s that I would uh, find veganism. You know, I was uh, living in New York City and attending a unity church and I was meditating every day. I think that was the main thing, you know. Growing up in the South, I'd seen animals killed for food. I'd seen my grandma wringing the necks of chickens. I'd seen my dad scaling fish and cutting their heads off and all this while they were still alive. And I just remember being shocked as a child. And But looking up and thinking, you know, well, one day I'm going to have to do that because that's what it means to be a grown-up. Mm. And so I think, you know, parts of me had been put to sleep like I'd put part of my compassion toward things to sleep because I knew I was gonna have to buck it up and be a man you know I definitely was not on a track especially as a child to be a vegan but in New York once I started meditating every day and uh, became conscious of the food I was eating like because I'd seen the animals killed like when I started to eat a piece of chicken I realized wait you know this is not just food it was an animal that died uh for me to eat like it's an innocent animal and at the time you know I was trying to inch closer toward enlightenment and it just felt like uh, being responsible for the death of innocent animals wasn't in alignment with that Mm. and so though I didn't have words for that and I didn't know what vegan was I knew what a vegetarian was and I kind of realized I was a vegetarian and started to uh, immediately cut meat out of my diet and um and like the first week of that, I think within the first week or two, I went to this deli 
and I'd order something out, you know, I was very proud to be a vegetarian. I was like, make sure it's vegetarian, <laughs> you know, and, and the guy was like vegetarian or vegan. And I was like, vegan, <laughs> what in the world is vegan, man? That sounds like Star Trek or something like Planet Vega. And so <laughs> this was in 2005. This was before YouTube, you know, like you just didn't have that information floating around. And so I looked at the guy and I said, uh, what's a vegan? <laughs> and he's like, that means no animal products. And uh, although I grew up in the South, the whole uh, dairy and egg cruelty thing, I never ex was exposed to. So I had no idea. So I didn't understand why at the time. Was, a part of me went, hey, if people are doing this, there must be a good reason for it. And so I told him to make it vegan. And I was vegan ever since. And then um, I remember I went to the library and got a book on veganism and read about the history of veganism. And uh, I think what started to bring it home for me, though, is when I was looking for places to eat, I found this website called Super Vegan. And uh, they had all the restaurants in New York listed and all the neighborhoods and what was had vegan food and what didn't. And, uh, and they had a blog. And so I started seeing the blog. And so that that brought a lot to my attention. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it was a total spiritual thing. I mean, at the time, I remember thinking, um, you know, I'm going to get weaker. I may get sick. My bones may break. I may die. <laughs> you know, like I was mm -hmm. indoctrinated just like everybody else, you know, yeah. but a part of me is like, I cannot continue to create this death and suffering in innocent beings and expect myself to ever find peace within my heart. I mean, a part of me just kind of knew that. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because I had a similar experience when I went vegetarian when I was 16, and this was in the 80s in Dallas, Texas, <laughs> and, I, and I did it for the animals. I just didn't want to eat my friends anymore. I suddenly realized that meat was animals and animals were my friends, and I didn't want to eat my friends. You know, it was kind of that simple putting it together, but- I thought I would be unhealthy. Like everybody told me I was going to be unhealthy. My mom was worried that, you know, I would be sick and unhealthy and that it wasn't good for me, but I didn't care that it was more important to me, you know, that I didn't eat my friends, but because we actually know now that it is healthy for us and it is better for us, you know, it just makes it, it shows how, what a beautiful thing it is and how really in a way spiritual it is that it's going to be beneficial for so many things and that you don't have to compromise your health or anything like that to be vegan. So this episode is part of a series where we are talking to authors from the new anthology, Vegan Voices, essays by inspiring changemakers, edited by Joanne Kong. And you have an essay in this anthology, Vegan Voices. And in the essay, you, ca you are calling yourself a vegangelicist. Am I saying that word right? A, a vegangelist. Vegangelist. Okay. A vegangelist. So share with us what this means. What is a vegangelist? Well, you know, over the last year or two, I started calling myself a vegangelist because I've got the gospel. Yeah. I, hallelujah. You know, hallelujah. I got the good news, you know, because <laughs> gospel ain't nothing but a little good news, you know, and the gospel, I and the good news I'm a sharing is all about, uh, the more you align yourself with your true compassionate nature, the better you're going to feel. Mm. The more connection you're going to have to all of life and to whatever spiritual or religious path you're on, 
I feel more connection to uh, my divine creativity and guidance. I've, I've interviewed so many people over the last few years, and almost everybody has a similar story. They went vegan. Their health got better pretty quick, but within six months to two years, somewhere in there, their heart softens. And whether they came in for the environment or for their health or whatever, suddenly they get the whole picture. Yeah. And they feel the connection. Yeah. And so uh, I know that I have a gift and all people who are sharing the vegan message have a gift. I've seen it change people's lives over and over. It's like a magical uh, elixir mm. that we all have that we can share. And I think a lot of times if we can come from the point of a vegangelist, someone who is, uh, realizes the gift, realizes it and, and wanting to give it to help the person to, to give them the magic. And then, you know, then you plant the seeds and then if they don't, not everybody's ready for the gift. So you got to make sure when you give them the seeds that you leave them with a lot of love. Yeah. You know, you water those seeds with love and you leave them feeling man, I want to be like that. Like you don't leave them feel it. I don't, don't push them further away. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. because as humans, most people don't want to be told what to do. You can see it in children, you know, I have an eight year old, trust me. Most people don't want to be told what to do. I see it in myself. <laughs> so we have to somehow um, find a way to uh, share the gospel which is good news. We have to find a way to, to share it as good news and, and from a place of compassion, realizing that the person that doesn't have this gift is probably suffering in some way. You know, the karma of that, you know, the karma of the health karma, the environmental karma, like there's so many things that are coming to light that show taking the violence out of your diet also takes anxiety out of you and depression and heart disease and, you know, and all of these things like, it just seems to me it makes sense that if you look at the evidence laid out, one thing that all traditions have in common is like this idea of the golden rule. It's the yeah. idea of karma. Right. It's right. easy to see that what we're putting out is coming back to us. You know, you can see it in your own life and you can see it on a, a global scale. And what troubles me as a parent and that woke me up into activism is the idea of other people's karma is affecting our children's future. So that's when I realized I had to, to be more proactive yeah. and become a, instead of a live and let live, be a good example vegan, I had to become a live and wake up. Mm. You know? It's one thing to get the information to people, but I want to be more effective in, in the way I get it out and hopefully help other people be more effective because um, the people that want to get this information out. The animal rights activists that are out there have so much passion and so much dedication and that they work so hard that they are pretty much burning themselves out, yeah. you know? And so part of the uh, idea of evangelism too is to me is self-compassion, is making sure that you're nurturing and taking care of yourself. If you're gonna share the light, you need to make sure your light's bright. The brighter your light shines, the brighter the world around you shines in some ways. And mm. the more you're going to attract people to, uh, to this way of life. I really preach meditation as much as possible. You know, that's part of my evangelism. It's like meditate, learn to be present, take care of yourself, love yourself, you know, and then you will be way more effective in loving others and compassionately leading them over to the beautiful gift and the elixir of veganism. 
Yeah, I love that. And I and I think my next question is is kind of part of this being a, a vegangelist. And and I really believe that the intersection between spirituality and veganism is so complementary, so natural. So many of the world's religions have some version of compassion for all. Uh, but so often, especially in Western religions and communities, the compassion ends with humans. You know, that's that's the line and the animals are left out. And this, of course, is a reflection of our culture. But what what can we do to show faith communities that veganism is just a natural extension of the ethics and beliefs that are already present in their faith? You know, that's a really good question. And that's one I've, you know, tried to explore over the last few years. I think it really has to do with people who have left their church <laughs> because they were ridiculed as a vegan needs to find a way to come back. And, uh, be, you know, if that's something that fed, fed them in some other way and just see the other people as not having received the gift. You know, we've created an interfaith vegan coalition just for this kind of purpose to give people tools. I made a prayer for compassion as a tool. Yeah. Um, I mean, if it's a particular religious community, get the resources you need. You can go to a, at the Interfaith Vegan Coalition's website and there's different faith-based kits that help you advocate for veganism at whatever church you're at, you know, as well as if you can, if you want to screen a prayer for compassion, you're way more than welcome to screen it. Um, you can contact us. The Veg Fund actually has a grant and they'll give you some money to give people some vegan food samples and give you literature and stuff to share with people. The Interfaith Vegan Coalition also has lots of different flyers and stuff online that you can take and that you can share with people of compassion. I think the number one thing is just not coming with judgment, like really coming with compassion, realizing that, you know, I mean, as I took this journey, I met so many people that healed themselves from so many of these lifestyle diseases. I was watching my family suffer these same diseases and have surgeries and on medications. And, you know, my dad died of a stroke last year. And like, you know, I can see the relationship between what they were eating and their health because I've witnessed so many people with their same conditions reverse them. So I know that uh, I'm bringing a gift and I think that um, you just have to be a, compassionate to where the person's at and see what is alive for them. So you created this beautiful documentary called A Prayer for Compassion. And I'd love for you to tell us about the film, what inspired you to make it? What was that journey like? Tell us about this film. Well, you know, um, as I'd mentioned earlier, I became vegan at a Unity Church in 2005. Uh, in 2012, my daughter Melody was born. And uh, up until this point, I'd been a really live and let live, quiet vegan. I didn't know any vegans in my life or anything. And uh, But after she was born, you know, I knew I wanted to offer veganism to her. And I, so I'd studied a lot about health and nutrition, but I also... Um, wanted to make sure I wasn't the only vegan she knew. So I reached out <laughs> to local Talveg. Like I joined the local Tallahassee vegetarian vegan group. And the first meetup was Cowspiracy, the movie. The first mm -hmm. meetup was a screening of Cowspiracy and that I attended. And um, oh my goodness, man, I left that thing just in shock. 
Mm. I was really just, uh, I don't know how to say it. Like, you know, my daughter, when she was born, I was 45. I only have a certain amount of time on this planet with her and she's probably going to be here a lot longer. And when I saw what was happening to the environment, although I'd been vegan for almost a decade already, I had no idea. Like, how did I miss that? I don't know how I missed it, but I missed it. And I apologize for it, but it really shocked me. And so I started to pray and meditate about it. Like, what can I do? Like, I, I got to do something. It was like, uh, it just felt calling to me. It was a calling. Like, it was calling to me. That movie, like, woke something up in me. And I had a calling. And um, I meditated the whole way. The idea came in a meditation. And I'm a single dad. I live in the woods in a little camper home. <laughs> you know, like, I don't have resources to go to Morocco and India and around the United States, but somehow it all happened because mm. despite the doubts and the fears and insecurities, I felt this was so important. I kept saying yes to whatever, you know, the universe opened, whatever door it opened. In that first meditation, when I was like really trying to figure out what to do, I flashed back to unity. I flashed back to, I used to go to brunch after I became vegan and I would, we sometimes would have like these group brunches and the minister and the chaplains and everybody would be there and all these people that were teaching me about compassion and kindness and connection of all beings were just not applying that th those teachings to the animals that were on their plate and it really shocked me back then but I was new to veganism I didn't feel I had any right to say anything you know but uh in that meditation like now I was aware of the environmental impact and the health impact and so I just wanted to uh go out and answer the question of like, how can a spiritual and religious person participate in an industry that's not only destroying the planet, but destroys human health. And it just wreaks uh, horror and terror on a lot of innocent beings and death. I just felt like it wasn't in alignment with what I had learned about these traditions. So I wanted to go and interview people. And, and the first person I interviewed was Victoria Moran, like before I really had the funds to get going. She said the thing that she says in the film about how compassion is something that all religion and spiritualities have in common. Yeah. So I thought, oh, because at first I was just, I'm going to make a movie about spirituality and veganism. But then it's like, oh, maybe I should look into compassion. And I went home and I looked at the definition of compassion and the one I looked up had a twofold definition. It was like feeling um, empathy for the suffering of another's. But the second part of the definition was like to the point of being motivated to take action. So I started seeing compassion as like this action verb. So yeah, I, I got my camera and started going around and interviewing people. I went to like an animal rights conference and interviewed a lot of people there. And yeah, I ended up traveling all around the United States and I went to Morocco for the UN conference on climate change and uh, got invited to India for a few weeks. I'm a big like don't give spoilers, but I'm going to give a spoiler right now. Like what <laughs> I discovered is that all of these traditions, at least their teachings of compassion are in total alignment with a vegan lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Not a single one of them said you can't be vegan. You, you have must eat animals. You know what I mean? Like all of them, none of them mandate it and all of them are in alignment with it. And yeah. so that's, to me, that's kind of what the movie's about. It's also, we get some cute shots of my daughter and, <laughs> and she gets to take some of the journey with me and stuff. So yeah. most people like the stuff with my daughter, like she's the star of the show. <laughs> she is. She's the star of my show. Oh, <laughs> <Aww. laughs> 
Wonderful. Well, I, I really love it. I think it's uh, I think it's really comprehensive in the wide range of religions that you cover and people that you talk to. And there's that common thread of veganism and compassion for animals throughout. So yeah, it's really, really powerful. So you're working on another film project and that film, a follow-up film, I believe is called Compassion in Action, Bringing the Elixir Home. So why are you making this film? What What is what is uh, going to be the focus of this follow-up film? Well, you know, I never really stopped making the other film. <laughs> uh, well, there was a lot of things I couldn't get to in the other film. I mean, A Prayer for Compassion is really the film that's going to be really focused on religions and what they say about veganism. This next film uh, opens it up a little more and share the elixir of veganism. And along the way, I interview people that I meet and highlight some people that are living compassionate lifestyles. Yeah, and, and I explore communication. Claire Mann, the vegan psychologist, and uh, self-care with Dr. Melanie Joy. And I get to talk to Rich Roll, uh, who's one of my vegan heroes. Our film's executive producer of A Prayer for Compassion, Jerome Flynn is uh, an actor who was in Game of Thrones. He is also in the film. He joined Silish and I in India for our Compassion in Action tour, where we took the film around and Silish spoke, you know, two or three times a day. He went to 14 cities and I traveled along to about nine of them. Well, Silish Rao, who's another producer of, yes. the, of the film and has been on this podcast. Wow. Well, that's exciting. I uh, can't wait for that one to come out and uh, we'll look for that. So in your essay in the Vegan Voices uh, anthology, you write, quote, I was pleasantly surprised to learn that many traditions, even the Judeo-Christian religions, hold up a vegan diet as the ideal. So what what does the Bible say about veganism and cruelty to animals or, or eating? I guess, you know, it's not going to say anything about specifically about veganism, of course, because it's a new concept, but what does it say about cruelty to animals and eating them? In the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 129, we're given a, um, the imperative for a vegan diet. You know, if you read Genesis 129, it's, it's laying out the prescription for a vegan diet and Three verses before that, right before God tells us to eat plants exclusively, is when God gives us dominion of the animals. So the dominion verse has nothing to do with eating animals. So that's one thing I learned uh, along the way. And just just to mention that, you know, dominion doesn't necessarily mean domination. It oh, can mean taking care of and being responsible for. And when he's laying out this diet in Genesis, it's, it is the ideal. It's what he's saying, what God is saying is the ideal diet, right? Yes, it's the ideal diet. And our dominion over the animals is like God's dominion over us. It's all about love and kindness and taking care of yeah. these creatures. And it's the same with the planet. Like we're given stewardship over the planet as well. And that's not to exploit it, but that's to help it thrive and to keep it healthy. Yeah. Um, so, but these things have been used many times to destroy the planet and to hurt animals. Um, and, but then if you stay in the Old Testament, when you get to Isaiah, you have the peaceful kingdom and uh, where there's no murder, where the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. So, you know, these are all within the mythology of the Bible. That's kind of the path it takes. One of the things I like to do, and especially with Christians, is just say, you know, 
imagine if Jesus were to come back today. And I took him to Tar Hill, North Carolina, to that biggest pig slaughterhouse in the world. Yeah. And I walked him in that door, him knowing the devastating effects that eating animals has on human health and raising them has on the environment and watching the suffering in front of him of these innocent animals. Do you really think that Jesus would condone this? Yeah. Anyway, so the good, you know, I I started out thinking I'm just going to, it's going to be a a slam dunk case. I'm going to show that Jesus Jesus was a vegan and all this. But, you know, I've come out realizing it it really, like Frank Hoffman, Reverend Frank Hoffman, who I interviewed when I was talking to him about this, when I interviewed him and he said, look, he said, I believe Jesus was a vegan, but I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. He said, if you look at the teachings and what he taught and where we're at today, you know, what would Jesus do today? So I know that you grew up in a Southern Baptist household, and so did I. So we have that connection. And also in Florida, actually, it was Southern Florida for me. And my dad's grandfather, my great-grandfather, was a Baptist pastor. And my grandmama took me to church every Sunday of my childhood. So I wonder what that was like for you and how that evolved your religious identity. Yeah, well, you know, the church was a big part of my childhood. We went to church pretty much every Sunday. I sang in the choir, performed in the Christmas plays. We had vacation Bible schools and church parties. And I even won the Christian Young Man of the Year as a teenager. (laughs) Yeah, the church was a big part of my childhood. Um, But, you know, I, I remember even as a child, I can remember like when the preacher would be talking about how different people from other religions were going to go to hell and stuff like (laughs) that always like, you know, I just always wondered and thought that even though I don't know what these other religions, I didn't have the details of them. I just thought, you know, they are trying to live and please God. Like it's just that they were born in another place or they, this is what they learned. Like I had a hard time thinking they're going to burn in hell for eternity So, yeah, one of the major things that, uh, well, actually, it was three things. There were three early gurus in my life that helped me to kind of break out of the grip of hardcore fundamentalism. The first one was when I was about 10 years old, and I went to see this new movie that came out called Star Wars and uh, met this amazing guru named Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) And... uh, You know, there's a scene where he first meets Luke and he's telling him about the forest and how it like permeates all things and connects all things. And and uh, there was something that really resonated with me about that, you know, and I think in some way that kind of planted the seed that there was a little more than what they were telling us uh, out there. Yeah. So that was kind of one of the first things. And then uh, as an early teenager, I got into martial arts and I I really liked Bruce Lee. And I read something he had written about um, how he had studied many paths, how he had studied many traditions and he had kept what worked for him and left the rest. And in some ways, like that kind of became a little part of my philosophy in some ways, as I, the more I learned about different things because in martial arts you also start learning a little bit about meditation so I was starting to incorporate a little of that it stuck with me and as I got to be a young adult and went to college I was a humanities minor with an emphasis in religion and then right after film school I had went to California for a little while and I 
started getting into meditation. I'd found like Deepak Chopra books, a little bit about, I started reading about Buddhism and, you know, I just was trying, I was really becoming open to many different things. And then I had lived in Nashville for a little bit and I moved back to Nashville after Los Angeles. And there somebody invited me. They said, Hey, you know, cause they knew I was in the meditation. They're like, you should come to the, our group meditation at the Unity Church on Wednesday. And I went, my mind went, what? A meditation at a church yeah. <laughs> like that just, you know because to me i kind of in a way i kind of walked away from from being a baptist and from all of this like i felt like i still related to jesus but i didn't really relate to the people who followed him kind of thing <laughs> and so i decided okay i'll try this out and i really liked it i really liked the idea of coming together and and really praising our creator in a more open way without the dogma that's open to truths from many past. Or one thing about Unity was that uh, Charles and Myrtle, Myrtle Fillmore had started Unity, and Charles really liked getting truths and uh, knowledge from other pasts and other religions. So it was very open to, uh, to an interfaith type of uh, take what works for you and leave the rest type of philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and there is where I, you know, started meditating every day and found veganism. Yeah, I it's interesting, you know, my Southern Baptist upbringing, I there was so much good and so much, you know, challenging and negative, but you what resonated with me is you saying that the love of Jesus and I I really felt that too. I loved the stories of Jesus and 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 that that love. I mean, his whole message is love. Uh, and I always really resonated with that and connected to Jesus. But I remember one time I asked my grandmother about animals because even as a child, I really loved animals. I was, you know, I had pictures of animals all over my room and, you know, I really connected with animals. And she said, well, now remember, honey, animals don't have souls. And I remember thinking, well, have you never like met an animal? <laughs> How can you say that? You know, I, to me, it was so obvious that they had souls just like us, whether it was, a, they had a soul or not, they had worth and, uh, and, and I don't know, it just seemed an odd thing. It was kind of like, well, just remember that they're lesser than us, you know, was, was kind of the, the tone of it. And that's something that was very frustrating to me and, uh, and I didn't resonate with it all. So, um, so that's kind of why I moved over to the Eastern philosophies and, and that's where I found um, more connection. Yeah, I think that that's just something that people kind of put in there so they could uh, continue business as usual. Yeah, um, I, I forget. I believe it's Jeffrey Cohen in the new film. I have he's had a Q and A, and I believe it was him that talks about that the word for humans and animals, the word for the this word used for sold is used for both humans and animals, as well as the word used for meat, flesh, yeah. used for humans and animals. So, you know, it's showing in the Bible that we both have a soul and we're both made of flesh. Yeah, you know, we're not. There's no difference in the eyes of the Creator. Yeah. When you were talking about Jesus, he was the third guru, by the way. I said there were three early gurus, and he was the third one. And, you know, it, think about this. It's the idea of, of his teachings about the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. The idea that people can come to you with scripture and justify many things. But if you go within, you can see that, is that really in alignment with 
compassion and kindness and the things that Jesus taught, you know, is it really in alignment with that? To me, that was very freeing. The idea that I'm allowed to discern and encouraged to discern. And I think when Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven is within, seek ye first the kingdom. I think he was teaching people to meditate, you know, mm -hmm. and to, mm -hmm. um, and to not just go by some written word that can be used to justify anything. So you work with the Interfaith Vegan Coalition. I think you mentioned them earlier. And, and through that program started Compassionate Living Circles. And that uh, project provides a way to get the conversation going uh, about compassion for all beings in local religious and spiritual communities, right? So tell, tell us about that project. Okay. Um, first, I'll just want to give a shout out to uh, the Interfaith Vegan Coalition and uh, Lisa Levinson and Judy Carmen. Yeah. Uh, so the Interfaith Vegan Coalition is uh, doing a lot of work. You know, we're actually, they're helping us get a screening into the Parliament of World Religions. They had done one when it was in person. And now this year, we're going to do it again. It'll be virtual as but they have two or three panels as well in that uh, Parliament of World Religions. They're doing a lot of great work. The, the Compassionate Living Circles, they were kind of created, I had created with the film, A Compassionate Living Challenge, which um, at the end of the film, I, I challenge each of us to find ways to bring more compassion into our lives, you know, basically. And so I created this challenge just to uh, encourage vegans and non-vegans to explore ways to bring more compassion into their lives. As part of the challenge, I created these um, four pillars of well-being, four things that really helped me stay evenly killed and uh, productive and connected to my spiritual path, which are very healthy vegan eating, like making sure you're getting your nutrients, meditation, exercise, and good sleep. So these are what the the challenge is about in some ways is taking better care of yourself. And uh, there's other suggestions for bringing more compassion in your community. But the circles, the compassionate living circles are an extension beyond that. Creating a, a compassionate circle in your area is, this is how we started. We started with the idea that we would create these compassionate living circles and you could create one in your church or it could be interfaith. You know, it was no like one way you had to do it. As you created them, you would be in working with Interfaith Vegan Coalition. You'd have all of our resources and it, we would help guide you and you would help brainstorm new ways as well to get this message out to the religious community via screenings of like a prayer of compassion and other documentaries and uh, cooking demonstrations, potlucks, different ways uh, to get the message out. Uh, by the time I had everything ready for the circles, uh, the quarantine had started. So we... Mm have not been doing live meetings. So, but we have a monthly meeting right now and it shouldn't be long. I mean, it seems like people are doing screenings and stuff again. I think the Veg Fund may have started back up with their, uh, their grants, their screening grants. So um, that being said, I think we might start trying to take it out into the real world. But right now it's still all virtual. Right. But it's a place where people who are already vegan and activists and spiritual can come together with other people who are vegan and spiritual and to uh, really support one another, support one another um, on your journey, on your vegan journey or whatever journey you're on, as well as work together to uh, bring the message out to more people. 
Nice. Nice. And another monthly gathering that we should probably mention is the Compassion Consortium, a new uh, online monthly gathering. And I, I have it written on my calendar. It's the third, third or fourth Sunday of every month. I'm not sure if it's a set third or fourth, but it's a Sunday late in the month. And I have written on my uh, calendar, Vegan Church. And that's kind, yeah. kind of what it is. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, I'd be happy to. I'm, I'm really just uh, kind of a participant as I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm really, I, you know, I'm really just somebody who attends the services. But, yeah. uh, but you know, I know Victoria and William pretty well. And uh, they're working with two other vegan ministers. And they have really uh, created this beautiful spiritual place that we can meet once a month and yeah. really feel the love you know victoria usually interviews a spiritual vegan of some sort or a religious vegan of some sort and we learn more about their tradition and about their activism and uh and what i really love is at the very end we they throw everybody in breakout rooms because right now it's on zoom as well and mm -hmm. uh so you get to you never know who you're going to end up in a little breakout room with so it's always fun uh, mm. So far, I've really had a great time. It's usually like when it's time to come back to the real group, we're like, can we have some more time? <laughs> <laughs> so I love it. Yeah, no, it's great work. I would encourage people who are spiritual and vegan uh, to check that out and to uh, hopefully you'll have links to that. Yes, I will. I'll certainly put a link. It's the Compassion Consortium, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Definitely. So Thomas, what gives you hope for the future? That's a good question. You know, um, if you turn on media or check on what's happening in the world, there's a lot of reasons to uh, to maybe not have hope, you know, to, yeah. to fear. To You know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening in the world, but um, honestly, there always is. <laughs> like, and the media really hypes up the negative. Uh, that's what sells, mm. you know. Um, so uh, I think what really gives me the most hope, uh, I would start Firstly, the children that are coming up. All of the animal rights activist children I've met just inspire me beyond belief. They're vegan at an early age. Their hearts are already softened. They're able to really see the bigger picture. And they're working hard, you know, to make a difference. Watching and seeing um, people make changes, watching them uh, vote, make different choices with their dollar, vote differently with their dollar, uh, more compassionately with their dollar, and then seeing it reflected in the stores and in the fast food places that gives me hope you know I mean I'm seeing that when people change the world around you changes too so we just need to keep working on changing growing and evolving ourselves and helping the people around us evolve becoming more compassionate like if we just do our part I feel like the other thing too is like we're connected in a way now we weren't when I was when we were children you know we have the ability to know what's happening in ways that we didn't and there's good and there's bad in that but i think that the good news is is that there's a lot of stuff that's been hidden that is coming to light and people are changing and we're seeing the difference people are becoming empowered they're becoming aware it's you know the indoctrination is so deep it's been for so many years it's going to be a process it's going to be like we're not it's hard to see it when you're in the middle of it but if you look back at five-year increments you see the change. Well, Thomas, it's really been great to have you on. Thomas, the Vegangelist, <laughs> thank you for the, for the good news, the good message, and I uh, appreciate you being on.
Thank you, Hope. I had a wonderful time. Thank you for listening to the Hope for the Animals podcast. So I want to remind you of our Vegan Voices contest that I mentioned in the beginning of the episode. I will be giving away the book Vegan Voices, Essays by Inspiring Changemakers to a random winner on December 1st. You can also have the book be a gift. I can send it to a friend or family member on your behalf. All you have to do to enter is to help us with some promotion and then copy what you wrote either in a review on iTunes or on social media and send it to me in an email so I can enter you in the contest. I love how Thomas referred to veganism as a gift and how pre-vegans just haven't received the gift yet. I think that's a really cool way to think about it. I also love when he said, if you're going to share the light, you need to make sure your light is bright. The brighter your light shines, the brighter the world around you shines. It's a great reminder to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of each other and the animals and find what helps you to brighten your light, what helps to bring the light from within uh, so that you can shine it out into the world. And I hope that your light shines brightly and you're filled with the gift of compassionate knowing so you can share that light, share that gift. And the best place to start is to live vegan.